Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, God With Us. This four-week Christmas series looks at God as Emmanuel, God With Us. We'll take a closer look at how God is with us through the valley, in the desert, on the mountain, and in the waiting. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Now, I know that uh, some of you hate winter and some of you hate snow. And now that there's uh, 18 inches of snow on the ground, you're already saying, I cannot wait until April. I don't hate snow. I like snow. I like winter. And uh, I've already been out snowshoeing uh, three times uh, since uh, Monday night, and I'm probably going again this afternoon, and I'm looking forward to it. In fact, uh, one of the times I went out this week, I went on our campus. You know, we have two miles of trails on our 80 acres, so I want to show you some of the things that you may have never seen if you've never been out there. So we're going to show you some pictures here from that. Uh, That's the uh, bench that's right by the pond behind the ministry house, so uh, you can get to that one very easily, by the way. and uh, then the next one, uh, maybe you didn't know that, but there's a cross on the campus, and it's, uh, it's down at the end of the north end of the field, uh, and it goes by uh, Salmon Brook there that runs through our property. Uh, the next one is a, a picture of a bench on the highest point on our campus, on, on the hill to the left as you drive in on campus, and you can hike up to that bench, and you can sit there, and uh, you can pray and meditate and just, you know, watch nature. Uh, the next one is, uh, this happened to be uh, late afternoon, so I th- just thought you'd enjoy the, the sunset that was happening there. Um, you know, we live in an amazing part of New England where there are all kinds of places that you can go outdoors if you love the outdoors. And uh, there are many places to go uh, all around besides our campus. But uh, as you know, I've talked about a lot, I like to hike. I I like trail running, I I like snowshoeing, and part of the reason I do is because I really like nature, and I I really enjoy nature, and enjoy seeing the beauty of what God has done out in the wild and wilderness areas of the world. Um, And one of the other things that I really like about snowshoeing, as opposed to hiking, is, you know, when there's a foot or so of snow on the ground, uh, you can go places because you can actually walk on top of the brush. You can walk on top of the weeds. You don't have to worry about ticks and all those things. So a couple years ago, I was out in the western part of McLean uh, Game Refuge, and I heard something, and I followed the sound, and this is what I discovered Uh, A waterfall that's not on a trail. Um, It was amazing. Last year I was out with, uh, Dan and I were snowshoeing last year, and we were getting way off trail and uh, ran into this huge ice formation, which I I had him take a a picture of me there. Um, But here's the thing you need to know about snowshoeing, because, you know, look, I know some of you don't feel like you have a good sense of direction, okay, and you're afraid to go out too far on a trail or in the wilderness because you're afraid you'll get lost. But you know what? When you go snowshoeing, you can never get lost because you can turn around and you can follow your tracks back home, all right? So there's, there's no excuse. Look, all this month we are focusing on the truth that Jesus came to be God with us. So, so whether your idea of a good uh, winter afternoon is being uh, on the couch by a fire with a nice, warm, snuggly blanket 
or it's being out in the wilderness, in the wild, in the snow, in the cold, uh, wherever it is, you need to know this. God is with you wherever you are. So, look, uh, just a reminder, um, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah who was to come. And we see that fulfillment of that prophecy actually restated in the book of Matthew. And this is what we read in Matthew. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word, and it literally means God with us. All right. So today, I want us to look at the fact that God is with us when we're in the wilderness. Now, look, when I talk about the wilderness today, I I am talking about more than just an outdoor location, okay? In Scripture, when we see people going through a wilderness experience, it's not always out in the woods or out in the deserts. Sometimes it's what they're going through in life. And so when people go through a wilderness, usually it's thought of of a tough time in which a follower of Jesus endures a difficult time with trials, with discomfort. Uh, The pleasant things of life during a wilderness experience are unable to be enjoyed. Uh, They may be absent altogether, and and maybe you feel a lack of encouragement. A wilderness experience is often a time of intensified temptation and spiritual attack. It can involve spiritual, financial, or emotional droughts. Uh, Having a wilderness experience, though, is not necessarily a sign that you as a follower of Jesus are sinning. It could be a time of God-ordained testing. We'll come back to that. Now, this experience is called a wilderness time because many of these times of trials and testing uh, originated in wilderness areas. But as I said, they can happen anywhere. They can happen in the wilderness. They could happen uh, in the desert. They could happen in the suburbs. They can happen in a deep in the urban heart of a city. Um, it's not so much about the physical location. It's about where a Christ follower finds themselves spiritually and emotionally. For instance, after the people of Israel escaped captivity in Egypt by the hand of God, they crossed over into a literal desert wilderness to escape Egypt and go to the promised land. On the journey there, God tested their faith. And they failed time and time again. Why? Because they actually wanted to go back to Egypt. You you see, in the wilderness, while they were headed toward freedom, they were already free, they were headed to full freedom, Um, it wasn't easy. It was challenging. It, It was hard at times. And they wanted to go back to the comfort of Egypt, even if it meant captivity. Not only that, along the way, um, They began to watch and observe the the peoples of the area, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all of these people. And they began to um, flirt with worshiping their gods and their idols and their their pagan places of worship. And this so angered God that he actually made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All right? Wilderness experiences take us out of our comfort zone all right we saw that with israel they take us out of our comfort zone and here's the deal we crave comfort 
I mean, e even the, the lowest maintenance person in this room has to admit there are things that give you comfort and you crave that comfort. Um, I read this this week. Uh, Bridger Wilderness Area is in Wyoming. It's near Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. And the staff shared some of the actual feedback that they received on their comment cards. Now, remember, this is a wilderness area where you go to camp, where you go to hike, where you go to get outdoors, where you go to rough it. One guest wrote this. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Another person left this comment. Too many bugs and spiders. Please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests. Another one said, a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. <laughs> and maybe the best was this. Too many rocks in the mountains. You know, what were they expecting? So look, wilderness experiences take us out of our comfort zones, but that doesn't mean that we're alone when we're out of our comfort zones. Here's the first thing that I want you to know today, that, that God is with us in the wilderness. Elijah was a prophet. He doesn't have a book named after him, but you can read about him in the book of 1 Kings. He was a prophet who was zealous for the return of Israel to their devotion to God. Because, you see, once Israel began to have kings, those kings were not always zealous for God like the first king, King David, was. And they began to stray spiritually in their devotion to God. The king that... Uh, um, Elijah was talking about was King Ahab. And this is what the Bible says about King Ahab. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. So he was a bad dude. Uh, Ahab stopped following God, stopped following God's commands, and started worshiping the false gods in the pagan culture that was all around them. So God told Elijah to confront Ahab and challenge him and all of his false prophets, he had 400 of them, to a showdown. To a showdown to determine which God was really the true God. And so he said, bring all of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel gathered there on Mount Carmel. And this is what Elijah said to all the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, that was the name that, of the God that the false prophets worshipped, if Baal is God, follow him. So both Elijah and Ahab's 400 prophets were tasked with this. Build an altar, put wood on it, sacrifice a bull, and get it ready to sacrifice with fire, but don't put a match to it. Instead, you need to pray to your deity and ask your God to send fire down to consume the sacrifice. And the God who does that will prove to be the real God. Well, if you read about this in 1 Kings 18, what you'll see is that Elijah said to the 400 prophets, you go first. So they did. They, they built an altar out of stone. They put wood on it. They sacrificed the bull. They put the bull onto it. And then they began to pray. And they began to pray some more. 
And they began to pray and pray and pray, and nothing happened. It gets to the point. It's pretty funny when you read it. Uh, Elijah begins to make fun of the prophet's false god. Uh, and uh, you have to read it to see it. But, but he does that, and then he goes, okay, you've had your time. Now it's my time. So Elijah does the same thing. He dips the stone. He builds an altar. He puts the firewood on it. He sacrifices a bull. And then he tells the servants, do this. Get buckets and buckets of water and pour the water on the wood. Pour the water on the sacrifice. Pour the water on the altar. And they did it time and time again. And then Elijah prayed. And fire came down from heaven and consumed not only the sacrifice and the wood and the stone of his altar, but also of the other altar. And Elijah defeated the false prophets, and God proved that he was God. Now, what happens next in the story catches everybody off guard. You see, after this amazing victory, you would think Elijah would be so emboldened and brave and excited, but we discover he's not. The Bible says that when King Ahab went back and told his wife, Queen Jezebel, what happened. She issued death threats against Elijah. And this is what we read in Scripture. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now, Elijah was not only in a literal wilderness, he was in another kind of wilderness, an emotional wilderness, uh, um, a mental wilderness, a spiritual wilderness, and even a physical wilderness bodily. And he had grown weary and exhausted from doing the things that he felt he was supposed to do. You, you, see, you see it in him when you hear that he was afraid and ran for his life from Jezebel. You see it when he is so depressed, he's suicidal. You, you hear it in his explanation of all that he had done for God instead of recognizing that God had been with him, working through him, guiding him through all of this. Instead of relying on God, he had been going on in his own physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual strength. But God's persistent with Elijah. 
So this is what we read, God says. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing, Elijah? In that gentle voice, that gentle whisper, Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. You see, after Elijah had won this huge victory against Ahab and his false prophets, and the people of Israel had declared that the Lord was God, Elijah must have thought, now King Ahab and Queen Jezebel will also come back to God. But when they didn't, his disappointment became a way for Satan to drive him into the wilderness of fear and the wilderness of depression and the wilderness of wondering where God was in his time of need. Disappointment can do that for followers of Jesus. Lisa Turkhurst writes this, Satan's favorite entry point of all is through our disappointments. After Lisa discovered her husband's affair, she writes about this life-shattering experience when the safety and security of her marriage had been ripped apart. Disappointment happens for all of us when life doesn't turn out the way we expected it to. And she points out that disappointment can happen to us all, and in her unique writing style, she shows how we can find ourselves in the wilderness of disappointment. Let me share with you what she says. It comes in like a whisper through the smaller disappointments, a bad haircut, an overflowing dishwasher, a burned dinner, a child who won't listen today, a scale that keeps going up, a bank account that keeps going down. Then the whisper graduates into a louder voice when the friend to go to goes silent for a while, when the job you applied for you didn't get. The harsh words spoken by, to you by someone you're desperate to hear some encouragement from. The underlying sense that your marriage has grown cold while your conversations are constantly heated. The lonely feeling you didn't think you'd have at this stage of life. Then disappointment roars with the earth-shattering thunder when a call from the doctor and a diagnosis flips your life upside down the discovered affair, the hidden addictions, the child you don't even know anymore, the fire, the bankruptcy, the breakup, the death so unexpected you keep calling their number just hoping that this is all a bad dream and surely they'll answer this time. She writes, I don't know when these disappointments, big or small, are coming my way. They just show up an unexpected guest that I don't know what to do with. The guest of disappointment exhausts me. But I don't have to tell you that. It frustrates and exhausts you too. Life isn't turning out the way we thought it would. 
Lisa goes on, though, to say that though it feels nothing like a gift, disappointment can be a gift from God. Disappointment, she writes, isn't proof that God is withholding good things from us. Sometimes it's God's way of leading us back home to him. But to see this and to properly understand what's going on, we must take a step back and view it from the context of God's epic love story. That love story is that God loved us and that God created us and that God wants to be in a relationship with us. You you see, when God created our spiritual ancestors, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place to be with God. But they messed that up. And when they sinned and destroyed the perfect perfection of the garden, they were removed from it. But God continued to pursue them, and he continues to pursue his people today. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We we see God pursuing his people through the pages of each of the books in the Old Testament. We see it in the prophecy that Isaiah gave of Emmanuel, God with us. We see it in the fulfillment of Jesus, who is Emmanuel. And we experience it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have it in the promise that we read in the book of Revelation that says this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's desire is with us and he wants us to know that he is with us even in the wilderness. But what about when the wilderness feels like an arid desert? We also need to know that God is with us in the desert. You know, uh, it's interesting. The the Hebrew word uh, translated as wilderness is midbar. And midbar has been translated by scholars and Bible translators as either wilderness or desert. Now, it makes sense. You know, when God led the Israelites out into the wilderness from Egypt. From Egypt. They went into an arid desert area. And so you, you can see how scholars uh, could translate it either way. But, but really, ultimately what it means is it's an uninhabitable land, whether it's translated as wilderness or desert. Now, depending on your perspective and your experience in life, you may see Uh, a wilderness as a densely wooded place like you would here in Connecticut. Or maybe if you've grown up or lived in an arid place, you may see the wilderness as a sandy, dry, desolate desert. Uh, It really doesn't matter which description you see, but here's the deal. Um, When we think about the spiritual and emotional significance of that desert, we understand how It can be arid and dry. God is with us in the wilderness when life seems overwhelming and we're going through trials and temptations. But God is also with us when life seems like a desert, where God seems distant, where where our spiritual life, where our emotional life seems dry and crisp. You know, I know people who have gone through 
that spiritual dryness with God. I've gone through that spiritual dryness with God. Times when you read the Bible and you just don't seem like God's speaking to you at all, where you don't feel like you understand or get anything out of it. Times when you don't feel like praying, and when you do pray, it feels like your prayers bounce off the ceiling. Times when you just don't feel close to God at all. Those are desert times. David went through those kinds of desert experiences in the literal wilderness. We read in Psalm 63, his own words, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David's describing his relationship with God. And it sounds like he's going through a spiritual drought. Now, um, recently I gained some insight from a devotional that I've been reading during this season. And by the way, uh, during the season of Advent, I've actually been doing uh, some devotions with some of you through the Bible app. You can do online devotions together. and It's been really cool to do those with you. This was one that I'm not doing with others, but it was a great insight. So I, I want to quote it to share it with you. Uh, much of the Bible was written or lived in regions of the world that exemplify the desert. Now think about it for a minute. The earth-restoring, heart-quenching, spiritually nourishing cold cup of water that is the Word of God was birthed for the most part in the desert. Have you experienced a dry season in your faith? Maybe it feels like more than a season. Maybe you feel like you've lived in a dry region. Maybe you feel deserted. Be encouraged. Our God is the God who chose to speak his words of life from the desert. Where were the Israelites when they were set free from captivity? In the desert. Where was Moses when God, through a burning bush, called him to lead his people out of Egypt? In the desert. Where did God's people learn to trust God for daily food and water and direction? In the desert. Where was Elijah when he ran from Jezebel? In the desert. Uh, where was David when he wrote that psalm? In the desert. Where was Jesus right before he began his ministry? He was in the desert. Does God desert his people at that crucial moment when they need him the most, when they feel like they're in the desert? Nope. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's clear about that, but God has a history of allowing his people to experience dry spiritual seasons. The desert reveals God as a trainer, not as a traitor. He's a compassionate coach, not an absent killer. The desert teaches us to thrive without rain by connecting directly to the rainmaker. He's right there with us, encouraging us in power, teaching us to dig deep wells in him, to rely on the water Jesus talked about that leaves us never thirsting again. The water of life. When we go through spiritual deserts, we're not alone. God is with us. I hope you're seeing what the big picture is about being in the wilderness, being in the desert. Uh, God has a purpose for those times. 
I mentioned it just a moment ago. When Jesus began his ministry, he began it in the wilderness, in the desert. And this is what we read in the first couple of verses in the chapter 4 of the book of Matthew. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. Now, did you catch that? The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted by the devil. If you're going, wait, what? You should be. You see, God didn't want to test him to make Jesus fail. God wanted to test him to strengthen him in his faith. That's the purpose of the wilderness. That's even the purpose of the desert. The Apostle James wrote this, okay? He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you face testing of any kind. I know that's not your first thought when you face testing and trials and temptations. It's not mine either, but that's what Scripture tells us. You know, God allows us to have these wilderness experiences of trials and to go through these spiritual dry patches because He wants us to know that He's with us even in those difficulties. And in those difficult seasons, He wants us to lean on Him. Even if those seasons aren't short, but long. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to recognize that he is with us. Michael Card is a songwriter and a theologian. And when you uh, see his songs, you understand that, that there's been deep theological study that's gone into them. He wrote years ago a song called In the Wilderness. And in the song, he explains the theological purpose of the wilderness. It starts off this way. In the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. And then it goes on, he says, he gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. But listen, it's more than uh, having grace sufficient to survive any test. He goes on, and in the next part he says, in the wilderness we're wondering for a way to understand. In the wilderness there's not a way, for the ways become a man. And the man's become the exodus the way to holy ground and wandering in the wilderness is the best way to be found. You see, Jesus is the way out of the wilderness. Leaning on Jesus in the wilderness, in the desert is the way out. Understanding that Jesus is God with us, that he's Emmanuel, allows us to know the way out when we go through the wilderness with trials and temptations. To know that when we're going through a spiritual desert, when our faith is dry, when we can't seem to be rejuvenated, that, that He's the water of life. And when we recognize that He's with us, He can take us through that time. You see, God isn't absent when we go through the wilderness. He's not far away when we go through that spiritual dry patch God has not abandoned us. He is there with us. And that's the amazing truth that we celebrate every Christmas, every Advent season, that we are not alone, that, that God is with us, and not just at this moment, but he's with us forever. 
So if you're going through a wilderness or a desert, or if you know somebody is, this is what you need to remember. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's, it's not what you expected. But God is still with you. You need to trust Him. You need to lean on Him. You, you know, we, we sing a, a song uh, where we say, even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's the truth about Jesus. You know, he makes a way in the wilderness. He makes a way in the desert. He leads us even through those trials and temptations and dry seasons. We sing that song, Waymaker. I think as we're going to sing it right now, I think when you think about the lyrics of this song and what it means about Jesus being God with us, it's going to take on a whole new meaning. Now, this isn't a song that you can sit down and sing, so I'm going to invite you to stand up and let's celebrate our wake maker who is God with us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.